So the reading is John 9, um, most of the chapter, which is on page 1075 in the Bibles. So please do grab those, turn to 1075, and it's chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. The one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't, know, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that it, that is remarkable, you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening the eyes of a, born, a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Thank you. Um, hello, everyone. Hello. Um, great to see you. Um, good response. Uh, my name is Jamie Mulvaney. I'm uh, one of the associate ministers here. It's lovely to see you. If you're here for the first time, can I also add my welcome to Jago's? It's great to be with you um, this morning. And if I can encourage you to keep that Bible passage open, it's quite a long passage that we've just heard. There's so much in it that, um, that God wants to uh, show us today, so let's just uh, keep that open, page 1075. Um, but let's close our eyes, shall we, and uh, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your great love for each person here in this room. God, we ask that you would help us to be opening our eyes to see all that you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there he was, the man who was born blind. Can you imagine never having seen the the sunrise over Jerusalem? Or never having been able to look into the eyes of the people that knew and loved you the best. And here was this man who was not seen, not not really seen. But Jesus saw him. I mean, we see people sort of talking about him as if he's not actually there. And I wonder if you have ever experienced that. People talking about you like you're not even there. Like you're just this theological case study. But Jesus sees him. And Jesus' disciples, they have this sort of weird conversation about him where they're sort of wondering, is he blind as a result of sin? And Jesus is quite clear there that he's not blind as a result of sin. And so if you here today are a parent and your child has a disability, it's really important that you hear the words of Jesus. 
And it's not actually really about the cause anyway. Wherever it is that you're sitting, wherever you find yourself in your life this morning, the cause only shows us a small part. Whereas God's purposes shows us the full picture. And so we see there in verse 3 that Jesus wants to reveal himself through your experiences and my experiences. So Jesus does this bizarre thing where he spits on the ground and he, he takes some mud and he places the mud in this man's eyes. And he tells the man to go to a pool and to go and wash. And so the man, he gets up and he goes. And we go too. We go to do the work of the one who sent us. And we see that in verse 4 that Jesus says, we must do the work of the one who sent us. And what is this work? Well, in John chapter 6, we see uh, Jesus say that the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And here he says, while it is still day. So there's this urgency there, isn't there? There's this urgency to let people see Jesus. We know that this earth is rattling at the hinges. And life is short. The other night, uh, a friend of mine uh, came over for supper. And uh, we met at the supermarket to sort of buy some food. And then um, there was a, a short bike ride back to, back to my place. Now, it was absolutely pelting it down with rain as we were cycling home. And so there I was on this bike, which I don't really cycle very often. And, um, and I'm sort of thinking, this is incredibly unpleasant. And I was sort of, sort of breathing in rain and wind and thinking, I just want to get home. I just want to get home to where it's warm and where it's dry, and where it's safe, where it's comfortable. And so we uh, went in the front door, and, um, and so my friend, he, he, he brought his rucksack with him. Now, out of his rucksack, he, he pulled out uh, the shopping, you know, as you'd expect, but then he pulled out something very different. He pulled out some slippers. Now... Slightly odd thing to take to someone's place when you're having supper. I just thought, you know, make yourself at home. Um, but we spend so much of our lives, don't we? Sort of investing and sewing and daydreaming and thinking and putting our time, money, effort into making our lives more comfortable. But the purpose for our lives is not that we'd be more comfortable. The purpose of our lives is that we'd live lives that matter, lives that have purpose. And for most of us, definitely for me, the biggest obstacle to living as a fully-fledged and flourishing follower of Jesus is not some sort of suffering or tragedy. We see there in this passage that God will use those things. 
the biggest obstacle for me living my life fully as a follower of Jesus is comfort. We bring our slippers around with us, don't we? We bring our slippers to church. We like things to be just so. We take our slippers with us into our context. Every day, wherever we walk, we take our slippers. We want to be comfortable. Yet we know, don't we, that the comfort zone is, is not the zone of growth. It's not the zone where we grow as followers of Jesus. And the reality is that if we're living distinctively Christian lives, we realize quite quickly that it's not all that easy, is it? We see here that there's um, this guy, this, this man who was born blind, and he was catapulted into a very uncomfortable situation very quickly because he was in the position of sharing what Jesus had done for him. But when it comes to sharing Jesus, we often choose comfort over courage, don't we? This man's parents, well, they chose comfort over courage because they were afraid. And when we boil it down, really, so much of us going for this idol of comfort is because we're afraid. It's because of fear. And it messes with our thinking. It messes with our motivation. So much of us, so many of us, we, we, we don't really want awkwardness, do we? So often uh, when I go to the hairdresser and the man asks me, how would you like your haircut today? What I really want to say is in complete silence. Many introverts in the room this morning. <laughs> we like to think that we have a personal faith, don't we? But we're mistaken if we think that a personal faith means that it's a private faith. It's really not all about you. It's fantastic to have a personal faith. It's a wonderful thing. But that means that you have a very special and unique gift to offer the people around you. It's your experience of Jesus. It's your faith. It's your insights for the people around you. And so, yes, serving others matters. It absolutely does. But so do our words and the things that we say. So how? How do we go about sharing our story, sharing our personal experience? Well, we start with why. We start with why. Everybody has a why. Everybody has a purpose. And we confuse comfort with calling, don't we? But our calling, our why, is a much, much more glorious purpose than comfort. We see there in verse 3 um, that the works of God might be displayed in us. That is God's purpose for us. That this belief, that this light of the gospel would be displayed in us. And in verse 5, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And Jesus also 
Jesus calls us the light of the world. So we have the light of Jesus in us. And he says, we must do the works of him who sent me. We must do the works of, of him who sent me. And then um, Jesus sends the man in verse 7 to the pool of Siloam, which John tells us means sent. And just as the Father had sent Jesus, so Jesus, he sends us to display this light, to partner with God in pointing people to Jesus. And we're in this series on the one thing. And our purpose, our one thing, our one job is to witness to Jesus. So this man, he has this conversation with his neighbors. And then the, the Pharisees as well. And then the Pharisees, they question his parents. And then the Pharisees question him again. There's a lot of dialogue going on here. And as um, this man's faith in Jesus is growing, his patience with the Pharisees is shrinking. And he gets quite feisty there. You'll see in verse 27. that um, when the Pharisees ask him again how Jesus opened his eyes, he says, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And the Pharisees, they, they go on and on and on about being disciples of Moses. But they're the ones that are really blind in this passage. They're so one-eyed for the how of God and totally missing the why of God. I don't want to be like these religious leaders. I want to be like this man who was born blind because he's very quickly understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And Some Christians take decades to become bold in sharing their faith. And yet, here's this man who becomes bold very, very quickly. And as his physical eyes have opened, we see in this passage his spiritual eyes are opening. And when our eyes are opened to Jesus, we get this amazing vision for our lives, an amazing purpose. The Prince of Wales uh, recently marked his 70th birthday uh, by saying that he's going to stop campaigning and advocating when he becomes king. Now, um, Prince Charles cops quite a bit of criticism for being passionate about a number of issues, and I think, I think that when he becomes king, he's going to find being quiet quite difficult. Because all of these issues, these purposes for the greater good, well, he's internalized them. Have you internalized your amazing why? This why, this purpose that you have. So very quickly, the, the question of how we speak up becomes the wrong question. It's more about keeping us quiet. So that's our why. We, we share, we, we know our why. And secondly, we, we share our what. Our what. I think we often stumble over knowing what to say, don't we? Um, because we don't have all the answers. And yet, in this passage, here's this man who was born blind... He's just had his eyes open, and he's speaking to the most uh, respected, intelligent, educated people in society. 
Now, you might not be a theologian, you might not be a scientist, you might not be an apologist, but you have a story, if you're a Christian, you have a story of what has happened to you. In verse 24, the Pharisees, uh, they're saying, we know this man, that this man Jesus is a sinner. And then verse 25, the man replies, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. And how freeing is that? We don't have to pretend that we know all the answers. We don't have to pretend that we've, we know at all. And the man goes on. He says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So what is the one thing? What is the one thing that has happened to you? Your what? Yes, we should study. But discipleship and sharing Jesus to people around you is not really about information. It's about transformation. Yes, I still have questions. Yes, there are many things I do not know. But I can tell you what has happened to me. So firstly, we can look at what happened in the beginning. Look there in verse 6. We see how Jesus heals the man. And this takes us back to the creation narrative, where, where God formed Adam out of the dust. And here is the same eternal God in Jesus, reaching down into the earth and healing this man, doing something new. He sends him to the pool to wash, which reminds us of baptism, where we're submerged and we're washed and symbolizes new life. And we see here that something new has begun. And then this man in in verse 11 and verse 15, he shares with with his neighbors and the Pharisees what happened for him in the beginning, that, that account of what happened for him in the beginning. And just as he did, we too can share what happened for us in the beginning. No one had ever heard of a man who was born blind um, receiving their sight. How does the song go? The song doesn't go, um, boring grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And I think so often we just get quite familiar with even singing these words and we, we lose the wonder, don't we? We lose the wonder and the excitement and the joy of what it was that God did for us in that moment when we first encountered him. Can I encourage us to go back, go back to the start of our story? Because you have an amazing story to tell. If you've met Jesus, you have a story that, that nobody else is quite expecting. And you may not have been physically blind, but if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've still received the miracle of sight, the miracle of spiritual sight. It's the story of, of death to life, of darkness to light, of being an enemy to a child. I wonder when it was that Jesus reached into your life, when he saw you. 
and when he enabled you to see him? What did Jesus do for you personally when you first met him? In verse 8, we see the neighbors there and those who'd seen him. Well, they, they, they don't quite recognize him. And I want people week on week to be noticing the change that Jesus is making in me. It's asking the question, isn't it? Well, what difference has Jesus made in my life? And what difference is he making in my life at the moment? Imagine if we did that in here and out there. Rather than just talking about the weather and the rugby and Brexit. If we're sharing with each other what Jesus has been doing for us personally. The researcher and writer Brené Brown, um, she's um, really um, caught the attention of our society, hasn't she? And and she uh, says that the original definition of courage, the original definition of courage is to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. And I, I think people are really catching on to this because we know, don't we, that this being vulnerable, this, this sharing of our experience, it's what connects us to others. Not everyone will like hearing it, but some will. So we, we start with the why and we connect with the what. And finally, it's all about the who. It's all about the who. The gospel is not a dogma to be defended, but it's a person to be loved. The Pharisees, they keep saying, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. They think they know so much. The irony is, is that the man who was born blind, he thinks he knows so little, but he knows all that, they're, all that he needs to know. He knows what has happened to him, and he knows who Jesus is. And we go on this journey of a relationship with Jesus, don't we? We see there in verse 10 that um, the man, he he describes Jesus to his neighbors um, as a man. And then in verse 17, he describes Jesus to the Pharisees as a prophet. And then in verse 33, it's getting quite bold here, he, he describes Jesus to the Pharisees as one sent from God as one from God, is that huge risk to his life. And then in verse 38, he encounters Jesus again, and he says, Lord, I believe, and he worships him. He now sees Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, Jesus' full identity, which he's about to reveal in the next chapter in John's Gospel. And when our spiritual eyes are open, this makes us bold. Rather than being ensnared by the, by the fear of man, this man is he's worshipping Jesus. It doesn't matter that he's been chucked out of the city. The chapter begins with Jesus seeing this man. And it ends with Jesus finding this man outside the city wall. And so if you are here this morning and you're searching... You're looking for God. You're wanting to find God. Well, the good news is is that God has in Jesus come to find you. 
You don't need to keep searching. Jesus doesn't just see him outside the city, but he takes his place outside the city. Not choosing comfort, but choosing a cross. And this is personal. This is the grace of God. In verse 35, Jesus asks him, do you believe? The man was born blind. So the, the, the photoreceptors in his brain that, that take um, the, the light that is entering his retina and converting it into an image that he can understand, well, well that never would have been fully developed. But here we see the vision giver giving this man vision. And the vision is Jesus. And what Jesus sees is people. And this is Jesus' vision for you and me. Every life bearing fruit for Jesus and every life bearing the light of Jesus. And Jesus says that we do this work with him. St. Paul, he, he writes to the Corinthian church and he says that for God, he said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. The goal for your life is not to settle into a comfortable existence. The goal for your life and my life is to shine the light of Jesus, to share our experience of Jesus in this fleeting moment that we have. And so my question to you this morning is this. Is the light of Jesus burning brightly in you? Amen. Amen. Would you like to stand?